Can exercise reverse damage to sedentary aging hearts? Can it help prevent the risk of future heart failure? Well, we know it can, but do we really have the statistics behind it to tell our patients? Do we have the experience to talk about it? Hi, I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, and welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. My guest today is Dr. Benjamin Levine. He is a study author. He's a director of the Institute and Professor of Internal Medicine at UT Southwestern, and he's taken the time to join us today in our program. And first of all, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Tell me a little bit about your interest in this area. Clearly, it's an area to be interested in, but your research and, and, the, and the work you do with patients, tell me a little about what you've learned and how important it is. So I'm a cardiologist and cardiovascular physiologist, and my overall research and clinical program is called the Institute for Exercise and Environmental Medicine. It's here in Dallas, located in Dallas, Texas, and it's the largest center for the study of human physiology in the United States. We have 12 laboratories, 13 or 14 faculty, 40 staff, 15 to 20 postdocs. It's a quite robust clinical and research program with our overall mission to explore and define the limits to human functional capacity in health and disease. So this has been the driving force in my career for the last 25 years. I'm a competitive athlete and have been one my whole life. And I came to Dallas, Texas from a long way away, from Nepal actually, to work in the space program. I came to work with Gunnar Blomquist and Jerry Mitchell. And one of the things we quickly learned in the space program is that spaceflight recapitulates much of what happens to the human body during aging. The bones and muscles get weak. The heart shrinks and stiffens. You develop orthostatic intolerance and syncope. And it turns out that the way you simulate space flying on the ground as you put people to bed because that eliminates that head-to-foot gravitational gradient. And I'm sure your audience is quite familiar with the orthostatic intolerance that occurs when people get out of bed quickly after they've been lying down for a while. That actually drove much of the cardiovascular research for the space program for perhaps 40 years. And I need to tell you a quick story about that because it's quite interesting and really highlights how we got into this whole program. So perhaps the most famous study in our entire field was the Dallas Bed Rest and Training Study. It was done in the 1960s, and my mentors, Anna Blunquist, Jerry Mitchell, Bing Saltine, took five young men, put them to bed for three weeks, and then trained them for two months. And much of what we know about the adaptive capacity of the circulation comes from that original study. Now, I didn't have much to do with it. I was only 12 years old at the time. But when I joined the faculty at Southwestern, we actually found those same five guys and brought them back to Dallas now 30 years later and studied them again using those same high-resolution physiological techniques. And what we found was quite amazing. Not a single person was in worse shape 30 years later than they were after three weeks of bed rest in their 20s. So three weeks of bed rest was worse for the body's ability to do physical work than 30 years of aging. That's a quite profound observation. And so we said, okay, well, how much of what we typically see with aging is related to deconditioning and how much is due to senescence or aging of cells? And to cut to a, make a long story very short, we got funded by the NIH to actually measure cardiac compliance. I put heart catheters in and measure the flexibility or compliance of the heart in a group of elite masters athletes who had trained their entire lives. 
and a group of highly screened, very healthy, but lifelong sedentary people. And what we found was that, indeed, the major difference between the two was the heart was much smaller and stiffer in the sedentary individuals than it was in the athletes. Now, that's a very important observation, but it's not a great public health measure. So we partnered with our friends at the Cooper Clinic, and we went out and selected people who had done the same amount of exercise reported on their clinic visits for 25 years, and we divided them into four different categories. We picked another group of sedentary people, and we considered sedentary doing less than two days of exercise during a week over the majority of your lifetime, 25 years. And these were all individuals over age 65 with an average age of 70. We then took another group of elite athletes, and then we selected people who we called casual exercisers. That means we interpreted that to mean those who did two or three days a week on average over about a 25-year period. And then our fourth group was a group of committed exercisers, those who did four or five days a week of exercise over their lifetimes. And we put them through the same kind of program. We measured their cardiac compliance, their exercise capacity, and we were quite surprised to find that two to three days per week had virtually no benefit over a lifetime, at least in terms of the structure of the heart and blood vessels. On the other hand, four to five days a week got us most of the way there, almost as good, not quite, as our elite master's athletes. So now we think we're getting to the right dose of exercise. But what happens when you try to impose that on someone later in life? So we took our original group of sedentary seniors and we trained them for a year. And to our disappointment, although they got fitter, we couldn't change the compliance, the structure of the heart and blood vessels at all. Not a single bit. So we said, hmm, this is very disappointing. So when, then, during the aging process, does this stiffening occur? And we studied over 100 individuals that ranging from age 25 to 75, a lot of them from the Dallas Heart Study. And we found that the heart starts to stiffen in late middle age. So it's that 45 to 64-year-old period where the heart starts to shrink and atrophy and stiffen, but maybe has not yet completed the process where we can't reverse it. And that's the essence of our current study. So we said, okay, let's take the sweet spot in time, that is in late middle age, and pick the right dose four to five days a week. Let's use the best techniques known by athletes, including high-intensity interval training, and let's train them for a long time. Let's do a serious training program, two years. And so we selected a group of 66 healthy middle-aged men and women, and we randomly assigned them to a high-intensity exercise program or balance and yoga training. And then we trained them for two years. And when we came back two years later, we found that there was a quite extraordinary improvement in cardiac compliance. So we were able to reverse the effects of sedentary aging on the heart in this group of healthy middle-aged individuals despite decades of sedentary aging. And when you said high intensity, what would that be? So in our studies, of course, because we take people who have been sedentary, we have to start easy. And we start with three days a week of moderate intensity training. And when I say moderate intensity, I mean the talk test. That is, you're, you're exercising at a level 
But you're a little short of breath. You got a bit of a sweat on your brow, but you can still carry on a conversation. That's moderate intensity exercise. So it's more than walking around a track. Let's say you're 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 beefing them up a little more than that. Well, it depends on what you mean by walking, right? If you're strolling and your heart rate goes from 75 to 77, that's not much. Mm-hmm. If you are walking briskly and you're trying to talk to your colleague who you're walking with and you're a little sweaty, but you can still have that conversation, that's that moderate intensity. Gotcha. Range. So that's, so that's the point where we for moderate. Started. Okay. And then gradually over the first nine months, we increased duration and intensity, and then we added high-intensity intervals. And intervals means you pick a workload that you can do for a short period of time, but you can't sustain forever. And I'm a big fan of what we call the 4 by 4 It's an old workout developed by the Norwegian ski team. It's four minutes at 95% of max, followed by three minutes of recovery, repeated four times. And it's probably the most effective kind of exercise to increase fitness and aerobic power. So first we added one, and then we added two, and then we continued at that level for a full three months where we were exercising five times a week with at least two high-intensity interval sessions. And then after that 10-month period, which we called our peak training response, we backed down to one interval a week one long session a week, lasting at least an hour, and then two or three moderate intensity sessions. And we continued that for another 14 months. Now, you moved down a little bit and you increased length, I guess, as you got further along, right? You were trying to do shorter workouts with more intensity initially? Well, you know, we built up to include workouts that varied in duration and intensity and mode, of course. So, What we wanted to do is, over the long term, pick a workout strategy that could avoid injury, that would be entertaining, that could be accomplished, and that included different types of exercise, what we call periodized, to allow the optimal adaptive response. I mean, that's what athletes do, right? They don't do the same thing every day. They have a program that's designed to to stress and recover. And so we wanted to use that same tools that are used by athletes to train healthy people. You're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough. Dr. Levine is talking to us about a workout program, which I think is fascinating. Clearly, you got results. What about for us and our patients? Family doctor trying to encourage their patients to do things. Maybe it's a a 57-year-old patient who, you know, really hasn't been doing a lot and you're trying to get them going. How would you recommend them to get to the point where they could start to see benefit? Well, that's a great question. And I think the first and most important thing is to encourage your patients to understand that exercise is part of your personal hygiene. It's not something that just gets added on at the end of the day uh, because you have to. It's you do it to maintain and preserve your health. You brush your teeth, you take a shower, you eat two or three meals a day, you change your underwear. These are things you do for your personal hygiene, and exercise needs to be considered in that same fashion. I mean, if I could give you a pill that would increase your strength and endurance, reduce your risk of cardiovascular disease and stroke, and reduce your risk of diabetes, hypertension, um, and even Alzheimer's disease, and especially heart failure, would you take the pill? Absolutely. Yeah. And so the first and most important thing is making people realize that they have to 
include exercise as their hygiene. And then, you know, each person is a little different. You have to figure out how to work exercise in your life. So my prescription for life, of course, you have to start easy. Start with just a th- two or three days a week of easy or moderate exercise and slowly every week or two increase frequency and duration and intensity, aiming for four to five days a week over the rest of your life. And the kind of pattern that I recommend is at least one long session lasting an hour, say on the weekend, and I don't care what that is. It could be playing tennis. It could be taking a Zumba class. It could be going square dancing with your spouse. It has to be something that you enjoy and is fun. A long bike ride, a long walk with your with your family member. Then I want you to pick one day a week and do a high-intensity session. I like the 4 by 4 but it could be shorter duration, even higher-intensity session, something that really causes you to work hard and then recover. And a good personal trainer can help you figure out the one that will work best for you. And then add two or perhaps three days additionally a week of this moderate uh, intensity exercise, a bike ride, a walk, elliptical, treadmill, you know, it doesn't matter what you do really, but just keep get those large muscles moving. And I also like to ask, suggest that people do one day a week of strength or balance training. So what you're really talking about is, okay, once a week, you got to give up an hour if you think you have a busy schedule. The rest of those workouts could easily be done in a half an hour. Absolutely. So it, somebody says, I, I don't have time for this. Well, you know, for your health and for all the benefits you talked about, one hour once a week and then those things. And, and you can see that difference. By the way, I want, again, to talk about your institute. It's the Institute for Exercise and Environmental Medicine. It's a collaboration between UT Southwestern Medical Center and the Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital in Dallas. Dr. Benjamin Levine is the director of the Institute. And one last question, and that is, is there something I did not ask you, Dr. Levine, that you thought was important? No, I, I think you, you've hit the highlights. You know, I, I did a lot of talking, and you let me talk through it. And Well, uh, you were interesting. So <laughs> I, I, I think that it's important that people figure out how to enjoy the exercise. That's why the one-hour session that I recommend, I, I like to have people think of that as something that's fun. That's why... You know, a bike ride with a spouse, playing tennis, going out dancing, picking something that's sustained but fun, and you do it like you would do any other fun activity. Right, and you're likely to go back to it if you like it, too. Yeah. People tell me, oh, I don't have time. I say, do you ever watch TV? Most people say yes. I say, well, you know, get a stationary bike, put it in your house, and ride it while you're watching TV. Dr. Benjamin Levine, I want to thank you for joining us. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. If you missed any of this discussion, you can visit ReachMD.com slash Primary Care today. You can download the podcast and learn more on the series. Thank you for listening.